morning. Welcome to worship. So Gail's asked for the reading of Philippians 3. So turn with me there this morning. We'll uh, go through this. <clears throat> my heading in my Bible um, before this chapter says, all is worthless compared to knowing Christ. So that's kind of uh, the thought to have in our heads as we read through this. All is worthless compared to knowing Christ. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus 
and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss, counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the ex excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may know that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. If, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So going back to that heading, all is worthless compared to knowing Christ. Um, the thought that comes to my head is we were just, Natalie and I were just talking here recently how our life and our family, our little setting in this huge world that we live in is important to us. And to each of you, your life is important to you. And we all kind of have our own agendas and our own jobs and, and everyone's, we care about each other and we're concerned about each other, but, but really as humans, your own life and your own family and your own structure is important. And so, as Paul is saying here, and in his case especially, he had opportunity to get really high-minded about his little situation in life. And we can do the same thing today. And then on the flip side of that, we're going to die someday. And then it kind of becomes not important at all. And then we started talking about the people that lived 100 years ago, their lives were really important to them. And everything that they did and their children and their families was really important to them. But they've been dead 100 years. So you can kind of go the opposite direction and then all of, a, all of a sudden think, 
life isn't important at all and I'm not worth anything because I may feel like I'm important now, but in, I don't know, X amount of years, I'm going to be dead and buried in the ground. So what's the point? It's you can be, think you're really lofty and impressive, or you can think that you're not worth anything because, you know, the people, even going back to Bible times, they thought their lives were important, but they've been dead for thousands of years. So both viewpoints are wrong. Um, we can think high of ourselves. We can also think so lowly of ourselves that, that we beat ourselves up on that ang- angle. In Christ is the only place to find the truth. And the truth is we were created by this awesome creator. We were created with an eternal purpose. We were created with a purpose by Jesus. Um, it says that through him all things were created. He did it for a purpose. And he has eternity in mind for each one of us. And our eternity isn't here on earth. Our eternity is in heaven. And he has a goal. I don't know what the goal is for each of us. But it's spelled out and specific to him. And to me, I guess that's where we have to go to find our peace. Because if we're trying to find our peace in how important or unimportant we are here on this earth, we're very miserable people. And we see that all around us. Um, So I just encourage us. Once again, going back to this heading, all is worthless compared to knowing, compared to knowing Christ. It's, it doesn't matter what we are here on the earth as far as our positions and, and loftiness or thereof or lack thereof, maybe, if we feel that way. What matters is knowing Christ and knowing that he does have an eternal purpose for me, for you. And our kids were just even asking the day, what's it going to be like? He has a, he has a name for me. What's, what's that look like? And so we were talking about that with, try that with a four-year-old, and, and that's a really fun exercise to do is have conversations about heaven with little kids. Um, it makes me re-look at what my vision of life really is. And so I guess i just leave it at that, that all things are worthless unless we just know Christ and we look towards what he has in store for each of us, not just here, but eternity future. Um, I think we'll stop there. If uh, if there's any prayer requests, Randy, maybe I'll call on you to say prayer for us this morning. So continue to pray for Thomas St. John. Uh, he's in the hospital and just needs, uh, needs our thoughts and our prayers for his health.
So we'll continue to pray for, for Haiti, for the church in Haiti, also just the, the people, for everybody there on both sides. We don't just pray for the church, but pray for the, the gang and, and those that they may see and experience Jesus also. And then John Muller, that, uh, with his health and with this possible tumor that he may be experiencing. Randy, I guess you want to lead us in prayer.
Father, we want to give you a praise this morning that there were a few that went out to help Heather cut her tree down and to be a testimony of the love of Jesus in their hearts. And we pray for Heather. We pray that she might feel the love of Jesus and that she might know there is more to life than just what we see around us. I want to pray for Tom St. John, who has been dealing with health issues for possibly 10 years. Father, that's a hard position to be in. It's probably hard to always be thankful. But we pray that you will touch his life and that he will be reminded of the purpose of these things. It will make him a better person. We realize that the Hayson Church has suffered some persecution in the past and even these last few weeks, but it sounds like maybe you have touched some people's hearts and it's improving somewhat. And we pray that the violence will be diminished, that people will think twice about the things that they do and who they're actually fighting against. And for the times that it seems like they're able to worship in peace. We thank you and praise you for that. We pray, Father, that you would give those people strength and help them to praise your name even in tough times. Father, we also want to pray for John and Barb Mola in Washington. We pray that you would touch his life with healing. Remind him of your great love and that we are only here for a while, but we pray that you would heal and that, and that he would have an understanding of what these kind of things that come into the life of an individual, the purpose of them. We pray that you would give him strength and give him thanksgiving as well. Bless uh, Gail as he speaks to us today. Fill him with your spirit. Help us, help us all to have um, ready hearts to receive the word and then to go forth next week praising your name and ministering to people that we come in contact with. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
If that isn't love, hallelujah, what a savior, amen? amen? If that isn't love. For those of you who were not here this morning for the opening devotional, we had a lesson on being thankful for all things about life. Every blessing of life, everything that's an experience and a circumstance in life, that will bring us closer to Jesus is a blessing. So our question is, is my life ruled by an attitude of gratitude as I live daily? And so then, as Cody introduced the message this morning out of the third chapter of Philippians, what significance does my life really have? How's it going to live on? What does it really mean? I'm going to submit to you that if you have a life of faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and him living his righteousness through you, that your life is significant and it will live on. You know, the Bible tells me of a man that died five or 6,000 years ago, and his name was Abel, and because of his faith and his righteousness, his life speaks on even today. Hallelujah for a life that is empowered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Welcome to worship this morning and good morning. It's wonderful to be here. A week ago on Saturday afternoon, just a small group of us here, and our devotional service in the afternoon was introduced with a question, just three words. And all week, I've not been able to get that off of my mind. I've tried to think about some other things of for a message, and those words just keep coming back to me. And so I guess I'll just talk about them a while today. The three words that introduced the devotional last Saturday afternoon were, are you free? Are you free? I realize that's a, that's a broad subject in the Bible. There's a lot of subjects about freedom, political freedom. You know, e Egypt had Israel in bondage for a while, and they finally were set free by the deliverance of the Lord. And they went into the promised land. And politically, they were free for a while, but when they were disobedient, God gave them back over in to incarceration in pagan temporal kingdoms so they would come back to him. And you know, even when Jesus came, they were still looking for a political temporal king. And they thought that was the purpose of their Messiah. Even after Jesus' resurrection, right before he ascended to heaven, they asked him whether this wasn't the time he was going to 
come back to set up their temporal kingdom so they'd have political freedom, social freedoms mentioned in the Bible. You remember in the economy of Israel, a bond servant, after he had served for six years as a slave, he was set free the seventh year. I would submit to you this paradox this morning. As a bond servant of Jesus Christ, you do experience freedom. Well, I found it interesting last Saturday afternoon, probably less than half this many people in this room, but I would, I would say that probably, at least to my knowledge, that everyone in that room was a believer and had been a believer for quite a few years, and yet the question was asked, are you free? That was interesting to me. Why would we have a subject like that held before us? Well, the subject was taken from the book of Galatians. And if you study the book of Galatians, you will see in that book that there are two Christian experiences. One is it a Christian experience of bondage, and the other one is a Christian experience of liberty. And we talked about that quite a bit in our Sunday school lesson today. The experience of Christian bondage is trying to live after the law and to do things. And the Christian liberty experience is living by grace in Jesus Christ. I would say it like this. We're not who we are by what we do, but we do what we do because of who we are. I'll say that again. We're not who we are because of what we do, but we do what we do because of who we are. Doing is external morality. Do right. Being is internal identification and identity. A new creature in Jesus Christ. What's my experience this morning? Am I free? We'd like to talk about spiritual freedom, and if you'll open your Bibles to the 8th chapter of St. John, we'll read a few verses there. You remember uh, Jesus is speaking here, well, he's speaking several things, but about the middle of a chapter, he's speaking to the Jews about his not coming in his own will, but coming to do the will of his father and doing everything that pleased his father, and that was going to include being crucified on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And after he had got finished speaking, the Bible says that some of the Jewish people believed on him. And that where we want to pick this up at and start reading is in the 31st verse of the 8th chapter of John. And we'll just read a few verses here. Verse 31. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, 
If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We're going to use Paul's commentator as a commentator on these verses. And he says, he says like this in com commenting on those verses. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For a text today, I just want to lift out six words from that verse. Christ Jesus hath made me free. I want to personalize the title this morning, Am I Free? Christ Jesus hath made me free. Am I free? And I suppose we could go in a lot of directions with this. Free from care, free from anxiety, free from fear, free from bitterness, and just on and on and on. Am I free? I want to ask us this question this morning. Am I experiencing in my spiritual walk freedom emotionally and mentally? Spiritual freedom is a gift from God in Christ Jesus who alone possesses it fully and I experience freedom spiritually only to the degree that I am surrendered to Jesus Christ. You'll notice that the last verse we read from John 8 was the 36th verse. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And the verse that Paul left with us as he commented on that was Christ Jesus hath made me free. Well, so we go back to the message in the book of Galatians and why was it that some of those people that Paul was speaking to were not experiencing liberty in Christ and the reason was they had not dealt properly with their past they were still trying to live by the law instead of by grace and so I have another question for me this morning Am I incarcerated by my past? I'm not wanting to discount the past or diminish the past. You know, the Bible tells me and it instructs me that the past is important. It says that the things which were written aforetime were written for my learning 
that I might through patience and comfort of the scriptures have hope. You see, I see where I'm going today by looking back of where I've been that guides me. In the Old Testament, those things were feasts for Israel. In the New Testament, they're ordinances for me. I look back and I see what all Christ has done for me and his love for me, and that guides me today and in my future. So our past is important. But even as a believer, there are areas in my past that have a potential to keep me locked up in bondage. The baggage of my past can keep me in bondage. I want to turn to the chapter that Cody read to us. Third chapter of Philippians. I want to see what Paul has to say about this. Let's just start in verse 12 and let's read just a few verses from this third chapter of Philippians. Paul says... In verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was saying here that Christ first loved him. He first loved us. He laid hold of us first in the perfection of his sacrifice. And Paul said that he, he didn't have this same perfection in laying hold of Christ, but it was his goal and it was his aim. And so he was going to forget those things which were behind and move forward in faith toward Jesus Christ and his goal. That was the message that he gave us in these few verses here. So this morning I want to talk about just a few potential areas that are pitfalls of the past that can keep me from experiencing spiritual freedom in Jesus Christ. And maybe I ought to just apologize right now. I'll probably talk more about problems than the solution in this message because I, I really think that the potential problems that can plague me about my past are a very, very important part of the equation in my freedom to Jesus Christ. Potentials in my past bondage are a very important part in the equation of me being free in Jesus Christ.
first potential area of bondage I would like to speak about this morning is living in the past. Living in the past. We're going to go back to the 18th chapter of Genesis and we'll not turn back there. But you remember that was a time when the Lord came to speak to Abraham and he came in the, in the form of three men. Abraham saw the men approaching. He sent his servant out, killed a calf, dressed it, had a meal for the men. And then the Lord spoke to Abraham and he said, you're going to have a son. That's the message I've come to give you. And uh, as the Lord spoke that to Abraham, Sarah was sitting behind him in the tent door, and, and she heard the Lord speak that to Abraham. And um, right away, you know, her mind does like probably ours do. And uh, she said, well, we're old and, and we're well stricken in years, and I don't know what all that means, but I do know that as you get older, you do have new challenges all the time. You experience that. Anyway, I think she probably thought within herself, now we'd have to go way back in the past for that to happen. It's impossible. We'd have to live back there in the past for that to happen. And uh, it amused her enough that she laughed within herself. And the Lord asked Abraham, said, uh, or he told him, he said, now, Sarah laughed. Why, why did she do that? And uh, so then as it went on, another few verses here, Sarah said, well, I didn't laugh. She denied that she did. Because she was afraid. Well, let's uh, let's leave that one right there, and let's go to another. Let's go to another count. We'll ask you to just open your Bibles to Exodus 14. Am I incarcerated in the past? Exodus 14. We'll just read just a few verses here together. Let's just start in verse 10. Exodus 14.10, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, and this is a setting of the, of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, and they hadn't gotten to the sea yet, and the Egyptians were right behind him. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, because were there no graves in Egypt? Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you'll see know them no more again forever. The Lord 
shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak to the children of Israel, that they should go forward. You remember back there when the Lord had spoke to Abraham, he told him after Sarah had laughed, he said, nothing is impossible for the Lord. He said, nothing is too hard for him, I believe, in that passage right there. Now these children of Israel were afraid and they wanted to live their lives back in the past. They were fearful and afraid to trust the Lord with the battle that he had for them today and that brought them into bondage. You know, my circumstances today may be overwhelming. And when the present path to victory looks impossible, my faith can waffle. But you know what? The principle is just the same today as it was back there for Abraham and Sarah. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And you know, he emphasizes that several times in the Gospels, and he says it both ways, about the virgin birth and the rich man getting into heaven. He said, nothing is impossible with God. And then he says it, with God, all things are possible. That's the principle. That's the principle for freedom today. Don't live in the past. Well, how about uh, the bondage of living on the past? That's simply focusing on past successes to give me victory today, and that's false security. They won't happen. Those things were in the past. They're for our learning, but they will not give me victory today. Victory today comes today by the Lord. That's what gives me freedom. Let's turn back to our passage in uh, the 8th chapter of John. Let's look at the 33rd verse here. This is the way that the children of Israel, the Jewish people here, answered Jesus. They say, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou that you will be made free? You see, they were living on their past heritage, their past lineage of being free in Abraham. But really, they were in bondage. Jesus told them that. Said they were in bondage. They were trying to live on their past by being children in Abraham to give them spiritual liberty. They were so much in bondage, they even wanted to kill Jesus. You read, read on through the rest of that chapter. Let's go back to Philippians again. 
And let's read about what could have kept Paul in spiritual bondage with living in the past. Verse 4. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And this is all... This is is all of the uh, the perfection, really, that Paul had in the law, and he'd kept it just just about perfectly. And this was this was the criteria that he could have used: circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He kept all those things just perfectly. But he said, I count all those things dung that I might win Christ. He would not let living on past credentials keep him incarcerated. He would be free in Jesus. And you know, when I try to live on my past laurels or the laurels of uh, my lineage or whatever you want to say, it, it only incarcerates me. It does not bring freedom to my life. Well, we probably maybe could overcome living in the past and living on the past, but I want to go to a big one now, at least a big one for me, and that's living with the past. You know, several years ago, Shirley and I uh, were on a little trip, and we went up a a mountain road, and it was a pretty desolate area, and we got about halfway up that road, and there was a bus stopped there on that road, and uh, there were prisoners out of that bus and every little bit there it seemed like there were there were several guards out there and they had shotguns and uh, I would probably submit to you that these uh, were prisoners who hadn't just committed some small misdemeanor they were dressed in full prison suits and they weren't out there with a garbage bag just to collect a little trash for community service. In fact, each of those prisoners were chained to at least one other prisoner. We noticed that as we got closer. Now I'm going to submit to you this morning... that I will never be spiritually free chained to the past. You know, the mind is an amazing thing. It's an amazing feature. It's a wonderful faculty given by God. But if it's controlled by my past, it brings me into bondage. My past will either 
polish my character or poison it. It will be a stepping stone to me or a stumbling block. It will make me better or it will make me bitter. It will make me feel hopelessness or it will make me feel hopeful. Living with the past is a result of not being able to believe and accept the truth that will set my heart free. And you know we all have a past. Mistakes, sin, failure. You know what those things do? They cause pain, anger, bitterness, unresolved guilt, etc., etc. And you know, I can't outrun my past. And I can't outlive my past. And maybe I could take all of the good experiences that I've had in my past over here and put them on this side of the scales and there'd be a whole lot more of them than bad experiences that I have had or ones that have caused me pain. And so the scales would tip way over on the side of freedom instead of incarceration. It don't work that way, does it? Tried that too. You know, another thing that doesn't work that a lot of people try is to resolve those pasts by concentrating on them and thinking about them. And that won't work. I'll give you an example. Let's just have an example right here. I'll make a, a negative statement to you. Don't think about elephants. In the next five minutes, I don't want anyone here to think about elephants. In fact, I'm going to tell you that for the time, the rest of the time that I'm up here speaking, I don't want one of you here to think one time about elephants. You know, God has the ability by choice not to remember, but I don't. And the more I try to forget something by remembering it, it just makes another mark in my brain and I remember it more and more and more. And it incarcerates me. Well, let's go back to the prisoners on the mountain. You know, I suppose that maybe by premeditation about escape or some plan that a prisoner had come up with, they might have been able to have escaped. But let's suppose they'd have been successful in escaping. You know, every time they would have turned a corner anywhere they went, they'd looked over their shoulder, wouldn't they? They'd have still been incarcerated, even though they were escaped. Are you free? Am I free? 
Am I spiritually free in Jesus Christ? Now I want to talk about three common wrong responses to my past trouble. Three wrong common responses to my past trouble. First one I want to think about is denial. And that's just refusing to acknowledge I have any problems in my past. It was the time of year that the kings were to go out to battle, but David decided he wouldn't go there. He'd just stay back at Jerusalem. He sent his troops out, but he stayed back there. One evening he went out and he saw his neighbor woman out there taking a bath, and uh, he wanted her. He sent a servant after her. She came back to his house, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, he sent her back to her house, and it wasn't very long, and he found out she was with child. So he um, sent out a message to his troops that were fighting, and he had Uriah, her husband, sent back home to Jerusalem, and he uh, met him, and he said, Uriah, you've been out there fighting for a good while, and he said, you're a good soldier, and he said, I think you ought to just relax a little while home. And you remember the response of Uriah. He said, oh, he said, uh, Judah and Israel live in tents, and he said, all your soldiers, the men I fought with are out there sleeping on the ground, and you think I ought to go relax at home as I live? I would not do that. So David uh, kept him another day or so, and he had him come for a meal, and he gave him a lot of alcohol and intoxicated him, and he thought, surely he'll go home now, but he didn't. And so the next thing that he did is almost unimaginable to me. He wrote a note, a letter, to Joab, the colonel of his army out there. And he said, uh, now, I want you to put Uriah clear up at the front of the battle, in the hottest battle, and then I want you and the rest of the soldiers to back off from him so the enemy kills him. And he, he, he wrote this letter, and then he gave it to Uriah and had him to deliver it to Joab. Can you imagine that? And that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what happened. And then uh, Joab knew that wasn't the way to fight. He lost a lot of men when he did that. But he uh, sent another messenger to David, and he said, you tell him that we didn't do too good in this battle, but he said, uh, you make sure and you tell him that Uriah got, got killed too. And so that's what he did, and of course, uh, when the message came to David, he, he didn't respond to that like he would have if he was not guilty. He said, well... Men die by the sword, they live by the sword. It's not a big deal. You know, uh, I could probably sweep it under the carpet for a while, but after a while there gets to be a big enough bundle of it under the carpet that I'll trip on it and fall. 
David betrayed the innocent by manipulation to cover the truth and the problem. And then he engaged in political conspiracy to cover his tracks. You know what happens even if I don't trip on the pile that I've swept under there, or if nobody else does, even if it's small enough that nobody sees it, I'll still deal with the consequences of it because I'm not free in Jesus. I'm still in bondage, and I'll still deal with it. You remember the rest of the story. It wasn't too long that Nathan came and revealed all that to David, and he did repent, but he dealt with the consequences. Well, let's move on. That's, that's one wrong response to my past in dealing with it. Another one that's pretty common is projection. And that's from the beginning of time. You know, right after Adam fell in the garden. Oh, it wasn't my fault. I, I, the, only, the only reason I did it is because that wife you gave me. If it hadn't have been for her, I wouldn't have sinned. What did Eve say? She said, well, really, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was because Satan tempted me. It was because there was a tempter. What were they really doing? What do I do when I project my problem onto somebody else? I'm blaming God. I'm blaming God for my bondage. And he wants me to be free. Am I experiencing freedom? Denial, projection. You know, I think another pretty common one is the rationalization. And that's trying to justify my attitude and my behavior by explaining it away. And we'll go short here. We know our time's already up. But let's just think about the man who, the parable of the man that Jesus used that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, fell among thieves, and uh, they beat him up and stole from him and left him half dead. And this was a parable that Jesus gave to the man that had come to him tempting him and asking him what he could do to inherit eternal life, to be free in Jesus. And Jesus had told him, he said, well, what's the Bible say you need to do? And the man said, well, I, I, the Bible says that I need to love the Lord the, my God with all of my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And there's another one in there. My mind, all my mind, all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said, well, if you do all that, he said, uh, you'll have life. And so then he began to tell him this parable. And he said, uh, in this parable, he said, there was a priest came by, and there was a Levite came by too. And the point we want about this is that the most pious and the most religious men will be caught up in rationalization, and that can include me. 
and oftentimes it does. Well, the, you know, the priest, he needed to get to the temple so that he could consecrate it, and the, the Levite, he needed to get there so he could be purified for the, the sacrifices. They, they made a rationalization for leaving the thief there because they had other things they thought that were more important that would prioritize their lives, and so they rationalized away their incarceration and they were not free. You know, all of those are escape approaches to my past and they all result in spiritual bondage and the reason they do is because they're all lies about the freedom. Let's go back to the prisoners for a moment. You know, those prisoners, I suppose, they could have served out a complete term of their sentence and they would have been free, but I can't do that. I can serve as long as I want to and my sentence is still the same, and it's death and hell. That's what the, the Bible says here. You know, in the verses that we read, and we're not going to go back to them, you study them again in John 8 there, and it says that the servant is a servant of sin, and the truth of the gospel that's going to set me free is that I am a sinner, and that the only way to freedom is in Jesus Christ because he came to pay for my sin by his death on the cross. And that is the only thing that will pay for it. It's not a head knowledge, but it is a heart experience of truth. Being free has no other solution than relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way that I will be free. Well... I know that from experience that nobody really knows how much pain I'm in about my past. And you'll say that this morning, preacher, you just don't understand about my pain and about my past and why I'm not free. And you know, I don't, but I know someone who does, and his name's Jesus. And you tell him about it, and then you just crawl up in his bosom and let him give you the answer. Just rest there a while. Well, this morning I realized that I've not talked very much about freedom, and I've talked more about bondage. But I really would like to speak, and maybe I'll do this another time, about what the Bible says and gives us as steps to staying free in Jesus consistently. So I hope that you can praise God for the freedom that he has given you, continues to give you, and promises you eternally in Jesus Christ. Am I free? Lord bless you.